Aboru boye babalawo Iboru boye Welcome to Lakura Podcast to colonizing Latinx health and reclaiming traditional healing. This is your host Francisca Porches Coronado. Lakura Podcast is a project of Mihente in collaboration with Resilient Strategies. Welcome to La Cura, everybody. I reached out uh, to Vera Lucia, uh, one, because she's a Mi Gente member. She has been really active in a lot of different ways, but lately I was seeing a lot of posts around her efforts on mutual aid in Toledo. And actually, I want to say, I want to give her some love because Bella Lucia, I think, was one of the first people that I saw um, pretty early on when I think here in Phoenix and other places in the South and Southwest were still kind of like, is this real? I guess it's really going to be as bad as it sounds um, because I think we were... At that point, we were in Phoenix uh, around COVID-19. Uh, maybe we were delusional and thinking like, oh, maybe we'll be at very few cases and then everybody else, because they have more tourism and a whole bunch of stuff, which might still be true, are going to be a- at a lot of cases. And so to speak to Vera Lucia, because because I wanted to learn a bit more about her efforts around mutual aid. I know that some of them have sprung up across the country. And um, I think they're an interesting experiment think that we can learn from it and in this moment where like we're letting a million flowers sort of bloom I want to hold spaces and I want to have cool conversations with folks that you know that are taking leadership and that are leading in some of these experiments and have things to share about them and reflections on them and then maybe can give us some, you know, um, idea of whether these could actually be effective beyond this moment, right? Because what are the things we're learning and the practices we're in right now that could actually be really helpful beyond a pandemic? Because we still got to get back to a lot of the work. And um, it's a time also of a lot of creativity where we can um, begin new practices. Welcome officially Vera Lucia Mendoza to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My name is Vera Lucia. Uh, I live in Toledo, Ohio. I am from Peru. Uh, shout out to uh, the Global South. I have been in Toledo for 18 years now, and I lived many of those years as an undocumented immigrant. So when we talk about mutual aid, A lot of it for me came from the perspective of the ways that undocumented people have taken care of each other and have been resilient through um, different types of crisis that we've had in the political realm. And when it came to COVID-19, I'm also chronically ill, disabled. I have lupus, which affects my immune system. And I think That's what gave me the urgency to respond so quickly, even though Ohio only had one case. I think we hadn't had our first case yet. I knew that it was coming, and I knew that the most marginalized would be the most affected. I have community organizing experience uh, about 12 years, 13 now, (laughs) 
uh, a lot of it has just been me jumping in where I was needed before knowing what community organizing meant, before knowing the terminology or reading the books. But I was lucky to find a political home like Mi Gente and able to learn from movement history and from movement elders and uh, also do some national support with Mi Gente. Uh, They keep me quite involved and I am very happy to to jump in where needed there. So that that's who I am, and that's where this started. Um, how long have you been in the States now, Vera Lucia? Those 18 years, yeah. So I've lived in Ohio my whole, my whole time here in the States. My pa came to Washington, D.C. at first. Then he had a nephew mm-hmm. who moved here. Um, who told him life in Ohio was cheaper, um, mm-hmm. less busy, and it made sense for for bringing my mom, my sister, and me. Um, so this is where we landed, and this is where I've stayed in the Midwest. <laughs> and those eighteen years, do you feel like you would have been some of your experiences around mutual aid in the immigrant community? I think the immigrant community has been practicing mutual aid for decades but of course we're not always calling it mutual aid i'm thinking for example um the ways that sometimes my parents would have a car breakdown mm-hmm. and somebody that had two cars would let my parents borrow a car until my parents had enough saved up for a new one you know because they never had the means to go to a dealership or a you know social security number, for example, you know, being undocumented. But they could save up through their jobs. And uh, my parents have worked as housekeepers. And my dad is also a musician. So my dad uh, mostly lives off his music now. And uh, he shares a lot of Afro-Peruvian music which is interesting to see the response in Ohio. There's a lot of love for that here. Um, he's, he's just, yeah, he's, he's bringing in, teaching them some, some new stuff and they, and they seem to, to like it. So it's awesome. And especially in Cuban restaurants, <laughs> I've noticed that uh, people from the Caribbean love us. It's like, um, but yes, uh, I'm thinking of those ways, you know, that we've all taken care of each other through time or sometimes participating in churches, you know, the meals, the community meals, um, community drives, or um, we've had some hospitals also donate um, items so that there would be testing because a lot of, you know, like medical testing, a lot of immigrants don't have health insurance. Uh, yeah. but they would, they couldn't reach out to our community because they were so separated from our community, you know? Mm-hmm. So they meant plugging in with people that would actually listen and say, this is a safe place for you to come get that treatment. Um, and yeah. so the mutual aid aspect there is the relationships that we build with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Because this charity wanted to, to do charity and, For immigrants, it was about solidarity. Can I trust this? You know, 
Right. Uh, and another example that comes to mind is my own dad. Um, so my mom and my dad were both educational professionals in, in Peru. Uh, my dad is a chemical engineer. And my mom studied education. But this also meant that uh, when we moved here, they never stopped reading. They never stopped collecting books. <laughs> they went straight to the Spanish section at the library. They took us. That was the first place my dad took us was the library. Um, I love that. You know, that's, yeah, that's how I learned to speak English, uh, playing the games on the kids' computers. But I remember when DACA was first announced. The first thing my parents did was wait for USCIS to post the instructions in English and Spanish, and they read over it. They printed out the applications, and they filled out the applications, like mock applications, to go over it and peer check each other, peer review. <laughs> and then they printed out two more. Mm-hmm. They filled one out for my sister, filled one out for myself. And the exact first day that you could send in a DACA application, our stuff was in the mail, ready to go. Um, Because they studied it. I remember them sitting there for hours studying it. And so we were the first two people in Toledo to have DACA, which also meant we were the first people to go to the DMV and, and try to get our license, you know? And so a lot of, I don't know what this is. And it's like, that's fine. I'll wait until you figure it out. I will sit here for 30 minutes until you give me my license, you know? Um, (laughs) So a lot of advocacy fell on my sister and me. That was the kind of welcome you got where it was like, what what is this? Who are you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Yes. Oh, Ohio is, is very well known for um, terrible DMVs, but, uh, Especially, you know, a lot of, I don't know what this status is. And it's like, well, you better call Columbus and figure it out. You know, the capital of Ohio, it's like, you better call and and have your people explain it to you that I am eligible for this. So there was a lot of advocacy around that. But because we were the first, um, the word kind of got around and people asked us, how did you do it so fast? And we said, my parents filled it out. My parents started filling out DAC applications for people in the neighborhood that, like, mm. they had known, you know, from around, but the kids had grown up, right? Like, just like my sister and me, and we're now eligible for this. And so these kids that always seen my parents as, like, los vecinos were now coming to them, you know, and saying, I need help. My parents were filling out DAC applications left and right. They weren't charging anybody a single penny. To them, it was, this is a way that I can take care of my community, you know, because when they do better, we all do better. And then we we had so many people in and out of our house. I couldn't name all of them. People were bringing like tamales to thank my parents um, or like sweets or cafecitos, you know, like all this stuff where they recognized that, um, there were, there's a limited amount of immigration attorneys in Toledo, and a lot of them mm-hmm. were charging quite a bit just to even apply. 
And then there's, of course, the fee, you know, with DACA. Whereas my parents were like, just take care of your fee. And we got everything else, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I have seen mutual aid happen in and out my whole life. But of course, I didn't have the wording for it. You know, when I was 16, figuring that out. Uh, But that was my initial response was how do we take care of each other? And that's mm-hmm. sort of how Mutual Aid Toledo was born. I love that. And your parents are clearly so intentional. Um, <laughs> so intentional. Yes. And I love that um, culture of practice. And I feel like as an immigrant, you kind of end up defaulting to that a lot, where you just kind of have to practice, practice um, until mm-hmm. you kind of get it and are somewhere up to par with whatever the rest of society is. Um, For those of us, obviously, who had enough education to be able to do that, I know for sure um, somebody like my mother who had a sixth grade education would have totally knocked on your parents' door (laughs) and been like, can Mm -hmm. you help me out? And so grateful for that, you know? And, And yeah, mutual aid is definitely a philosophy and a way of life and um, mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. and part of like a cultural practice in some ways. Um, and so that makes a lot of sense. So really grateful for them. And now it makes a lot of sense why you would be like the first person to, to jump out and be like, we gotta, we gotta put this together. <laughs> this aid in this age of COVID uh, given how well practiced you were and given um how you understood that kind of call and you need to step up. And so I was literally on Facebook when you put out the call and, um, and I'm curious what sort of happened right after. Yeah. So it's a national network and I connected with folks in central Ohio and I said, we need this in Toledo. And the same day they started theirs, We also started the one in Toledo. It just so happened that that was the same day. We were all thinking about the same thing. They handed me the template, you know, so we used the same information. And all of this was copied from Seattle. Seattle was sharing with organizers. Um, So organizers there were sharing the templates that that we could use. I appreciate the gave a shout out to Seattle and how quickly they responded because it also influenced the the way that I think everybody else has been responding. Um, At first I started thinking that maybe um, the activist community in Toledo is primarily white. And I was thinking that I was going to have primarily those activists respond and then it would be more political discussion or theory or um, figuring out volunteer dispatchment or any of that sort. But it turned out that Mm -hmm. everybody just different people from everywhere started joining. And in two weeks where we were at um, 4,500 members in the Facebook group. So this is above him. Like this is, you thought like, oh, it's going to be the usual suspects <laughs> type thing. Yeah. 
And then yeah. you saw people I, up who were not in activist circles necessarily. Correct. Yes. Uh, which has made an interesting um, space for political education. There's a little bit of fragility around um, when people realize that mutual aid is a, is a political practice. Um, there's been situations where somebody will will say they need some sort of aid and somebody will say, didn't you get help last week? And we're like, oh, no, no, no. You know, like we don't we don't do yeah. that here, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or um, or somebody says they need a meal for a child or for themselves immediately for whatever reason that might be. Right. And somebody says, I noticed that you have requested this before. Here's some food pantries or somebody says I'm having financial trouble. Somebody says Kroger is hiring. You know, it's like, no, that's not how we respond here. Been some fragility around that, where where some people have felt um, offended because they still um, go through the the bootstrap mentality. Um, but we know that's not the case, right? Like we know there's no such thing as self made. We're all community made, and um, you know, there's there's people that. Um, they think of themselves as donors or the professionals, you know, the nonprofit professionals. Um, they're thinking, can we apply to grants, that sort of thing. Uh, but then oh, that creates you- condition. <laughs> what was that? I said they already yeah. took it there. <laughs> yes, you know, but of course that creates conditions for receiving aid. And that's not what mutual aid is, you know? Going back to the example of my parents, I never saw them set conditions for who they helped or who they didn't, you know? Um, It was just, we're humans. We take care of each other. You're my neighbor. Like, knock on my door if you need some sugar. I got you, you know? Um, So we've had to do a lot of explaining that, Members are decision makers. Um, the day-to-day work is done for us, by us. I know. Um, we pull our resources together here. Um, and there's no expectations. Yeah. Like, you know, you you ask for what you need. And whoever can give, you know, gives. Because we all have some sort of resource that we can give. Just like we all have some sort of need. Um, How do you handle that? When that has come up, what do you tell people? Like, how do you, I guess, check them? <laughs> um, yeah. And keep them accountable. That's not what we do. And how have people taken it once you have kind of explained um, more of the philosophy behind it? I am going to, I want to make sure I work this properly. Most of the people in the group, because Toledo is primarily white, Most of the people in the group are white. And I can tell you that black and brown people that have questioned this model of mutual aid have been very receptive when I have explained it to them. But most of the white people that I've explained it to have um, just said, I feel insulted or I won't be insulted again. They leave the group. Um, and in some instances, 
there has been um, some online harassment of some of the moderators that also are in the Facebook group. Um, I'm talking, taking their profile pictures and, you know, saying, oh, this person looks like they have crazy eyes type thing, you know, or, or this is a cult or work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just a very harmful, just mean things. Um, but we know that's not about us, right? We know that that's just something that, um, and we know that we don't have to carry their insecurities for them. So mm-hmm. we release that energy and, and we center and, uh, and we say, you know, this is, this is part of, of the battle of COVID-19 is not just a physical aspect of what it can do to our bodies, but also that it is putting in question the practices that we have come to visualize as normal or come to accept as normal. Um, it's, putting the question of healthcare and charity um, that views recipients of aid as victims rather than my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's capitalism, of course, you know, Um, so many things are being put into question right now. And also who is essential and who is not (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Farm workers that are never given at consideration when we're talking about wages or worker rights are suddenly essential, you know, um, all the cashiers and people work at restaurants. If people say, if you don't like it, then get a better job. All of a sudden are so essential. Right. And, um, I think dealing with those realities for a lot of people feels like an apocalypse. Um, and that's real. I can honor their process in that. And at the same time, I can protect my own, um, energy and protect the people that have jumped on to volunteer to help moderate the group. And you said there have been some folks who, after explaining to them where y'all are coming from and what what the spirit of mutual aid is, they have been like, okay, I got it. And have had Mm -hmm. a learning moment, right? Yes. That's great. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. building their consciousness about what being in community is and Mm -hmm. um, supporting each other looks like, and then really opens up the opportunity for you all to do more of that political education of the, the analysis that you were just breaking down around pulling yourself from your bootstraps, the individualism, um, and then also white privilege and white supremacy mm-hmm. to some degree. The white privilege piece is obviously something that makes a lot of sense. That it was inevitable. It was going to show up in the space. And it sounds like the way you all have handled it. It's, it's great. And that you're also like spiritually taking care of yourselves and not holding on to that, to that energy. Like, um, uh, like you mentioned important, right? Cause, um, Cause this is going to, it's going to be a while. Um, we mm-hmm. might be in this for months and, and wanting to relate to the beautiful work that you all are doing from a place of joy and not from mm-hmm. not having that energy of like the assaults in my opinion that you all have um, <laughs> experienced yes. uh, when people have disagreed, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of self care that has had to that we've all had to set into place. I thought that being in quarantine and staying home that I would run out of things to do and that um, I might become a little lazy even, maybe lay around a lot. And, and also with having lupus, I rest a lot. But I'm actually busier now that I'm inside all the time. <laughs> um, you know, just, just managing the different aspects. And the thing is, right. I use the word manage right now because organizers step up to lay the groundwork. So to give you sort of a visual, when I, when I picture my, my organizing, I think of myself literally um, planting a garden and, and I'm laying the groundwork out there. That's why we call it, you know, the grassroots organizing. But, I, but mutual aid does not belong to one person, you know. I am not a leader of mutual aid. I am not, this is not an organization. It's an organized community. It belongs to all of us. And when those things grow, they become self-sustaining, right? Like the, the plants, the seeds start to, um, you know, repopulate the same garden. Um, it becomes a cycle, it becomes self-sustaining. So I want to be very intentional in describing what I mean by manage because this is not something that belongs to Vera Lucia, you know? It's just that Vera Lucia got on the ground right away, <laughs> you know? And so did a lot of others that joined me that, that said, I will help you moderate this, and I will help you go through this form, the, the offers and the request forms, um, you know, and, and just a lot of educational, the educational aspect, a lot of people have stepped up because uh, the political education, I sometimes don't have the emotional capacity to get back on my laptop and respond and respond and respond, right? And so people will say, hey, I have the capacity to do this right now if we want to share this. And um, all of that has been really crucial. Our self-keeping, you know, um, and just staying centered in our bodies, present in our bodies and and like you said, coming from a place of joy that we get to do these things and not desperation. You know, of course, in a perfect world, I wish that, you know, there were more possibilities for stability, you know, and in a better um, government, if you will, we wouldn't be having these talks about infusing money into the economy and forgetting about individuals. But that is a reality, and there yeah. is a certain practice of joy in knowing that we continue the legacy of our elders in the movement um, with the hope that the next generation has uh, less of a burden and can, can reach a better or it can reach more of that when we be that we talk about. Mm. And if done, I mean, the whole word, the whole concept of mutual aid is exactly that we're saying, like, not a, um, a ran by a leader, but that if the container is built in the way that it should, then 
ideally many folks would lead um, and step up. And so with that, can you break down a bit about how it works for those people that might not be as familiar and that might also be interested in like, let me set one up given um, what I've learned thus far. How does it work? Um, what's the, the process to set one up? And then what does it look like once it's like on and rolling, you know? Yeah. So an incredible resource, uh, Leah Lakshmi, she, they go by she or they, um, she has written from a disability justice perspective of mutual aid and how it looks so different from space to, to space, right? Um, for example, even me being a disabled person, my needs look very different than other disabled people, you know? Um, so I want to start with that, that there is no one right way to do it. There are wrong ways to do it, um, but there's no one right way. If if it fills the need and the gaps that you're seeing in your community, then you're doing what you need to do. What Seattle needs is not the same thing that Toledo needs. What New York needs is not the same thing that Phoenix needs. Um, but for us, it started with a Facebook group. There's a Google form. There, um, it has an, a section for offers and a section for requests. So the requests are what we go through primarily. And then we go through the offers and check in with people to see if they are still capable of uh, fulfilling. Uh, we know that things have been changing day to day here in Ohio. People that were willing to um, drop off groceries last week um, are laid off this week, you know. Um, and who knows how long that'll last. And, you know, so just a lot of uh, moving parts right now. And so that means that we're constantly moving too. <laughs> There's a group of people that moderate the Facebook aspect and not a lot of overlapping with the people that are managing the Google form uh, responses. And uh, the Google form allows for um, being a little more anonymous I mean, or confidential, because I mean, we see it, there's five of us, but also some people don't want to say that they have a need in a public forum. Um, we know that that's something that in our society is looked down upon, right? Like asking for help or admitting that you're in a situation where you need help. Uh, so we do honor that because we still want those needs to, to be considered, even as people process that aspect And um, that takes a lot of work, a lot of uh, emails back and forth. Um, we collect some information. And we're also partnering with different um, organizations that are also liberation-minded. We have a chapter of Toledo Food Not Bombs. Uh, they get a lot of donations from different groceries of items that are uh, – that might expire soon, you know, just items that we don't want to go to waste yeah. or restaurants that at the end of the day, you know, uh, and so that has offered a space for uh, filling in that need for, for food. because that's mostly what, what folks are looking at these days is food. 
we also, there's a community garden in Toledo. Toledo is not very large. You can drive anywhere in about 20 minutes across the city. There's a, uh, it's called the Collingwood Garden. And it used to be just an empty lot. And a few friends of mine decided to start planting <laughs> and clean it up and planting. And technically, um, we're squatting. <laughs> but it's so beautiful that even uh, at some point, uh, a past mayor recognized it as uh, a community hub <laughs> because there's you know, murals on the, on the side of um, the auto shop that's next to it. Uh, high school mm. students that are right down the street come through and, and grab veggies or fruit or whatever and, like, eat them as they walk home. Um, there's an outdoor kitchen there, you know, so it just has grown so much. And technically, you know, again, they just showed up and decided this is an empty space. Let's use it. Um, so we have people that are at the Collingwood Garden and have items out, practicing social distancing um, and all the safety measures, of course, super important. But they go they go out there and they say, hey, I'm at the Collingwood Garden. They might post a picture of what they have, you know, out there and people show up and grab what they need. Um, so we're using a lot of different uh, spaces. And um, again, find those people that are liberation minded and see mm-hmm. what sort of connections you can make, you know, the, the connections that, um, that overlap. Um, so that, that's been a really exciting aspect of it. We, uh, there's also a, a chapter of democratic socialists of America. I know that people have different feelings about different groups and different <laughs> philosophies, <laughs> Right. Some of that could be said about Mm -hmm. even mi gente, you know, like I have heard, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're, we're to this or to that. Um, But I always encourage those connections where you do meet those intersections where you do meet. Um, If it's going to benefit the the greater good, um, I can, I can set aside a little bit of that um, where we may not meet and say, let's make sure that people are going hungry right now, you know? Um, and exactly. that's also a practice in ego. <laughs> that's also a practice in, in ego. And This is what you believe. We have differences strategically or tactically, but are you going to show up and are you going to do the work right now when we need you, you know? And at the exactly. end of the day. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. You know, so building those alliances. Um, and I and I also want to go back, I want to circle back to um, what we were saying about apocalypse. So Adrienne Marie Brown and her blog talks a little bit about um, she has a, a, a blog post called rushing toward apocalypse. And I learned in that post and I went and looked it up to the, I'm sorry, I always mispronounce this word etymology, etymology, uh, or the origin of the word means to uncover. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I think in a way we are going through an apocalypse. You know, I think that our communities have been through several types of apocalypse. Um, and right now we're uncovering what systems are or aren't working. We're uncovering um, the ways that there are endless possibilities for connections. Uh, and that's not to say that, you know, the folks that have been affected by COVID-19 or who have passed on, um, you know, they didn't die for our sake. You know, they didn't, they're not a sacrifice for, for us to continue living. You know, like that, that is heartache. We cannot measure the kind of heartache that we're feeling right now and the collective pain. Um, just like we have immeasurable possibilities. And so when you, you think of mutual aid right now, um, there's a, an aspect of compassion of knowing that possibly people you are encountering have a loved one that has been affected. Um, I myself have an uncle in New York who's on a ventilator. Um, you know, so just remembering that when conflict arises, even within, you know, our social movements, like we were saying, those alliances of different organizations, um, that we all still show up with our humanness, with our emotions, with um, with our internalized um battles, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. And so logistics, yes, sometimes we're going to disagree on some type of logistic, but don't get stuck there because, because we're all dealing with some sort of grief right now. Um, Grief in, in the life that we used to have or grief, um, from, you know, losing someone possibly, um, grief in, and feeling isolated, you know, humans are made for connection. I, I love solitude, but I love connection, you know, um, and I'm very intentional about those connections. And now I can't have that, you know, um, so just remembering that as you continue with mutual aid, to be gentle and also self-compassion is so important. I'm of, did I do this right? Should I have done this? Should I have even started this? Why did I decide to jump into this? You're going to go through all the emotions um, and just have that self-compassion and remembering that you yourself are also part of the, you know, you're, you're also going through the crisis and the collective trauma. Um, so gentleness and then and then once you feel centered returning to that work to to lean into that conflict to resolve it um to make sure that at the end of the day the community is served that's what it comes down to at the end is um charity views people as victims and it sort of hopes to soften um, the blow of social injustice, injustices, if you will, 
but mutual aid is seeking to transform society as we know it. Uh, That's why it's a radical practice. And transforming society, of course, means transforms how it means we transform how we connect to ourselves, how we how we show up to spaces and how we show up for each other, um, how we speak to each other, how we relate to each other um, and to challenge those those same things within us that society is constantly telling us, you know, that we should throw away people that we're in conflict with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't throw each other away here. Or that, you know, save yourself. <laughs> I'm going to save me <laughs> as well. You know, yes. like, I'm going to say, good luck with your life. Uh, it sucks you lost your job. Yeah. It sucks, you know, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also that around, like, I'm looking out and I'm looking after um, and for my fellow neighbor, um, friend, community person, whatever that is. And so... I think the way that this all started was pretty wild. People going to the stores and hoarding um, all kinds of goods. And I think that mutual aid is kind of the opposite of that sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. selfish, um, self, you know, protective survival, uh, capitalist centric. Mm -hmm. A survival mechanism, if you want to call it that. And so I think it gives us, um, both it reminds us of what the practice that we were in already um, generationally that many of our folks were in, just like your parents, and then also what it could look like now, like citywide, community-wide, nationwide. And then I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, I think that the way you're relating to it and explaining it is actually really powerful and beautiful and feels like, um, you know, both your understanding from what your parents practice, but also like new understandings that have come up in the process of practicing it this time around, given the pandemic. And curious to hear from you of like, what you think is possible beyond the pandemic in terms of mutual aid circles given what you've learned and if they are possible, if you feel like, and maybe it's too early to tell the folks that are already involved in it, um, would, you know, could continue um, because, uh, you know, it's very possible that in the fall or in the winter, everything will be, back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that means. But that recovery is going to be so painful and so slow. And Mm -hmm. again, like the hardest folks are going to be the most um, oppressed and the poorest Mm -hmm. and the the migrantes, the disabled. Like, um, And so beyond this point, I'm curious to hear what you think is possible. Yeah. I think that there is enough momentum, um, that there's been enough disruption of our systems that people are questioning um, in what ways it actually serves the greater good. I think that um, people that um, 
are, you know, about the hustle culture, maybe learning about, you know, the slowdown. I think people that have felt disenfranchised because they have asked for virtual or remote opportunities. Um, You know, I was one of those people, for example, where, where I said I can do things digitally, I can do things virtually. And um, I have sometimes been told like, oh, we don't have a strategy around that, or we don't have access to that, or even asking for a certain restaurant, you know, to have online ordering. Um, You know, all of those things, everybody suddenly making those changes and arrangements, right? Um, So I think a lot of people are going to rethink the ways that they relate to each other, but mostly I think our systems. People are going to think about the way that different, um, even governments have responded, um, the way that we are being taken care of or not. Uh, you know, I even saw a tweet that was that was saying, you know, as soon as all of this is over and I go for a job interview, the first thing I'm going to ask is how did you respond and take care of your employees during COVID-19? And, you know, it's just a simple tweet, but I think it's already reflective of people saying, you know, like, I'm not just going to be grateful because somebody is giving me labor to do. You know, it's like, no, I am an essential human and I am going to ask how you're going to respect my humanity as we move forward. Um that was the underlying message for me. And I do, I can't give you tangible ways right now because things are shifting so quickly. Um, but I do have hope in that. I just, um, I see it around me. I see it, you know, with the people around me. I see it with the people in the group, <laughs> the people that are still there <laughs> that have not left. <laughs> um, you know, because they felt offended or, you know, in the aspect of mutual aid, but you know, the people that are there, they're asking those questions and and they're all talking amongst each other. Um, And also I think there's a new sort of perspective around immigrants. Um, Sophia, who uh, works at Mi Gente and I had some conversations around this too, where, um, for us, video calls with our families, that's been years of our life, you know? Um, FaceTiming la abuela, um, you know, or there's a holiday, right? Some people are practicing Easter, you know? Um, I am personally not of the Christian faith. I like the festival of Fishtar, <laughs> the goddess of fertility. Um, yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of people that for them, that's a meaningful event and now they can't have it or even the Passover, right. That is, um, that, that started this past week. Uh, Ramadan is around this time, you know, and, uh, people that have not had to have this, this gap or, um, 
this wedge between them before are seeing it. And it's like, that's how a lot of us have been living for a while. And I've been seeing more compassion from that aspect. And, uh, and even people that have reached out to me and have said, you know, I know that these have been realities for you. And I know that you continue to do the work that you do. How do you do it? Because they feel desperate suddenly being in these realities. Um, and so I really think we're going to see a generation of marginalized people too that um, that have those survival tips, if you will, that um, over time have uh, built resiliency around survival and who are like, you know, I've been in this crisis before. We're going to get through this. And uh, I'm really excited to see that. I'm excited to see that leadership. I know right now there's a lot of this at, at a larger scale than we've ever seen. Um, and I wonder also about uh, community organizations that have been doing movement work who often feel like rightfully so that the campaigns is their work and leadership development is their work. And a lot of what, you know, a lot of what organizing has looked like traditionally, I think can also implement on a smaller scale, mutual aid, even for their own, it's within their own organizations, right. Or within yes. the communities that they work with or organize in is, um, mm-hmm. you know, Another thing that I, in conversation with organizations here in Phoenix and other places, I was like, well, obviously, like you as an organizer leading right now, attempting to lead a different type of campaign and that kind of thing, like implement mutual aid, maybe just for your organization with your own members, since you can't um, really um, do a larger scale one. And because what people are going to remember I was telling someone this yesterday. I was like, well, people are going to remember because um, I'm doing some coaching with some organizations. And this person was like, I don't know if we're, I don't know what we're doing. Like, I'm so disoriented. I'm like, everybody is. <laughs> like, nobody mm-hmm. knows what the hell to yeah. do right now. And so don't worry. Mm-hmm. Politically, it's totally fine, um, including governments um, and states. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what people are going to remember after all this is said and done? Like they're going to remember how well they took care of each other, how much, Mm -hmm. you know, they um, either stepped up to really be there for someone or somebody stepped up to be there for them. Like that's the kind of culture you're trying to cultivate in this moment Mm -hmm. and coming out of this moment. It's going to make you so much stronger um, and resilient and be in such a good place with each other at the, you know, at the end of this. Um, and so anyway, I have hope for it and I'm excited about the model and I'm just grateful that you're, you know, leading in the ways that you are. And I think another thing you said that's really important is about how much we have centered, which, you know, how much we have centered, um, you know, this like uh, able, quote unquote, body activist, you know, and how incredibly backward that is and how <laughs> right now we're still centering um, ability, you know, quote unquote, 
how we're still centering that person who who is, you know, not struggling through chronic illness or not, you know, struggling through with mental illness or some other type of, you know, differently abled capacities. And we're centering it still. And that's why we're moving entire organizations onto online, you know? And so I think what you're saying is really important and profound and something that also needs to shift significantly. This movement is for everyone. And this movement has a role for everyone. And I think we must... um, we must figure out how to ensure that that doesn't happen again. <laughs> that doesn't Absolutely. happen again. It has to be part of our practice uh, from this moment on um, as we shift back to, you know, this um, body centric um, world um, that's so ableist and, and this movement that is so incredibly ableist. And so I, um, yeah, I hope that's a big one that folks take away from the message that you put out today that I think is really profound as well. So again, thank you so much for being on La Cura. I am really thankful for the work that you're doing and really excited um, for other folks that might listen to this episode who will be really inspired as well to, to create mutual aid um, circles and um, and also be able to to um, put it into their practice, not just right now, but in general, and especially the philosophy of it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to La Cura Podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, edited by Lourdes Hernandez. Music is by Rafael Maya. Find us on social media at La Cura Podcast, and at Con Mi Gente, C-O-N-M-I-J-E-N-T-E. Please rate us, subscribe, so that you are notified as soon as the newest episode drops, and share your favorite episodes with your friends. Bye-bye,